All right, good morning, UBC. It is good to see you here this morning. Thank you for, for coming out and joining us here in the, in the presence of those of like precious faith as we gather together in the very presence of the living God. And so, uh, again, we are so humbled uh, by your invitation to come before you and to share uh, the Word of God with you this morning. And so thank you again for uh, that invitation. Uh, we enjoy so much our, our, our times with you. We enjoy getting to know you. We enjoy worshiping with you. And again, always, uh, we, again, from the depths of our heart, we want to thank you for your partnership with, with us at Asia Pacific Media. Just again, I can never thank you enough for that. So uh, again, thank you for your, your partnership with us here. And um, thank you for coming back after last week. <laughs> so uh, last week, uh, you know, we... Um, I told you last week we was going to be kind of doing a two-part series on your theme, The Whole Family Saved, More to Come. And um, we tried to approach it last week by looking at two familiar passages of Scripture, uh, Luke chapter 15 and that parable in Luke chapter 15. It's, it's one parable, but in four different parts. You have the parable of the good shepherd, the lost coin, and... and uh, uh, and the lost, uh, the lost son, right? And, uh, and so you have that part there. And, and we looked at how in that opening verse of, of, of Luke chapter 15 that, that we kind of have two things here presented as, as, as our Christ. We have the good shepherd, and then the, the, the chapter ends with, with a banquet. As the prodigal son comes home, we have Jesus or the heavenly father, you know, hosting a banquet for the son who's returned. And we kind of tried to, I tried to put a new spin upon how we understand that, that parable, that all those parables are about Jesus himself. He is the good shepherd, right? He is the good shepherd, and then also he is a good host. And we looked at Psalm 23, and we kind of laid the, the, the 23rd Psalm over, over Luke chapter 15. And we saw how in the 23rd Psalm, how it starts off how the Lord is my shepherd, not the Lord is my shepherd. But the Lord is my shepherd. And it starts out as declaring uh, Jesus as being the good shepherd. But then halfway down, it changes from Jesus being the good shepherd to being a good host. Because he, he prepares a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. And we looked at how that, that laid over with Luke chapter 15. With, it started off where Jesus uh, the, the, is eating with the sinners and tax collectors. And everybody's saying, why is Jesus eating, eating with people like them? The self-righteous religious leaders. Okay? So we looked at that idea last week of, of Jesus being the good shepherd. And this week I want to pick it back up. I want to look at that second half of Psalm 23, that theme as Jesus being the good host. Okay, So if you have your Bible, you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 14. And we're going to go verse, uh, we're going to start off with verses 12 through 13 of Luke chapter 14. And so we have here, uh, just the background here, is that Jesus is eating with some Pharisees here. And um, as the dinner's getting started, Jesus is watching these religious leaders come into this banquet. And everybody is trying to sit in the place, the seats of honor. They're trying to sit in the most important seats. And Jesus is observing this, how everybody's trying to sit in the most, most important seats. Jesus is noticing this. And so while he's notice, noticing this, he changes this, the subject of the conversation to the subject of hospitality. And so this is where we've picked it up here in Luke chapter 14, verse 12 to 13. So when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All right? So here's the first thing that we want to look at here, here this morning is that, number one, is that Jesus challenges our view of what hospitality is. He challenges what does it really mean to be a hospitable host. Now, when we think of throwing a banquet or throwing a party, um, 
we invite our friends and our family to eat with us, right? That's just the normal, natural thing to do. And when we invite our friends and our family to our birthday parties or to our graduation parties or to whatever party that we're having, we, we kind of expect that whenever they have a graduation party and a birthday party that they would invite us to their party as well. It's just that reciprocation type of thing. I invite you, you invite me, we celebrate together. It's just kind of what we do together. That's kind of what we have this, it's, it's what we as families do. We would do that with our, with our friends and our family. And, and so Jesus says, so when you have a party and somebody invites you back, that's not real hospitality. You know, if you're inviting people just because you know that they're going to invite you back later on, that's not real hospitality. And that's not being hospital. He said, in fact, you've already, received your, you've already received your recognition. You've already been rewarded for your any hospitality that you have shown because they've already repaid you here upon this earth. There's no eternal reward for that. You've already received your reward for that. And so Jesus really challenges us here. What does it mean to be hospitable? You know, I find it very easy to invite a person that I like, a person, a friend of mine, and invite them into my house and to share, my, to share food and drink and fellowship and jokes and, and just to share life with them. And it's just so easy to do that with somebody that I know and like. It's not very easy to do that with somebody that I don't know or somebody that I don't like. Okay? And so Jesus says, what, is the, what does it mean to be hospitable? But don't you know that Jesus, above all else, is a good host? Jesus knows how to be a good host, okay? And so just because somebody can't, can't, so Jesus says don't just invite your friends or your family or those who can repay you, but he challenges us, uh, invite those who can't repay you. Invite those that can't show you hospitality in, re in return. And then it doesn't mean that you're not going to be repaid because he says you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. At the resurrection of the righteous. So this brings us to point two here. And this is where we end up in Luke chapter 15 with the banquet. Jesus in the future is going to host a banquet. And at that banquet... He will repay you for the hospitality that you showed that you did not get repaid for while here upon the earth. Okay? So in the future. So he's saying, when you host a party, don't just invite all your friends and family. Invite those who can't repay you. Because if you do, when you come to my banquet in the future, you will be repaid. This banquet is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. Okay, you can find it and you can read about it there. Revelation chapter 9. This is 19. This is what it's talking about here. In the future, I am hosting a banquet and you are going to be repaid there. You will be honored there for the hospitality that you show to those who can't repay you back. Okay? Now, a man who's sitting at this table in Luke chapter 14, here's Jesus saying this. And he makes the comment, you know what? What a blessing it is going to be to sit at that table. So in Luke 14, 15, how blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, you know what? Hey, why are you guys, everybody's here looking around for their place of honor. Uh, everybody's looking to be, to be honored here. He says, this isn't really hospitality. He says, invite the people that can't repay you because in my future banquet, you'll be honored and you will be blessed there. And somebody here who has a soft heart says, oh, how blessed it will be to sit at that banquet. How blessed or how happy will be, be the person who is at that banquet of our Heavenly Father. How blessed and how happy. You know, just being in that banquet is going to be far better than sitting at the head table of this banquet. How much better? I would be so happy. I'd be much more happier to sit at that banquet that Jesus, you're going to host, than this banquet that I'm at now. How happy the person would be who's at this future banquet. And so he has this, he has this whole 
revelation here. He, he, he gets this. this. This guy gets it. He understands what Jesus is getting at here. Okay? And so now Jesus then changes the conversation. He begins to tell us a story about a banquet. Okay? And so Jesus tells a parable about the banquet. And what we have to understand here, we're at a banquet. They're talking about a future banquet. And now Jesus is going to tell a story or a parable about a banquet. Now the, the story that he's going to tell is about this future banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. So what's about to follow is that he's describing Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. And so he tells this story or this parable about this future banquet here, okay? And so we find here in the first part, we find that preparations are made, invitations are sent out to family and friends, okay? So we're going to go here to Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 17. It says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now question, who's the certain man? Jesus is talking about himself here. Jesus is the one who's preparing this banquet. Okay? So in other words, he's saying, I'm preparing this banquet. But he's using it as a story. A certain man is preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. Come because everything is ready. Now, I want you to take notice of something here. Is that the preparation for the banquet and the invitations being sent out happen simultaneously. While he is preparing for the banquet, he is sending out the invitations. He's getting the reservations. He's trying to find out, are you coming or not? What, at the very same time he's fixing the food, he's going out and saying, hey, I'm having a banquet. Are you gonna, would you make it this afternoon? And you give your yes or your no. And we have to ask the question, that's kind of different how I would do it. I would send out an invitation you know, a week in advance or two weeks in advance and say, hey, I'm having a party in two weeks. Would you come? But in this day and time, they didn't do that. It was on the day of. And, 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 I've, and I read something here by a guy named uh, Ramsden's last name. I can't think of his first name. And so he described it like this. Now, he, he's a British, he's British, he's, he's British born, but he grew up in the Middle East. And so he, he makes this kind of, he makes this comment, kind of insight. He said, there's two reasons why in Jesus' day and in Jesus' culture, they would make a preparation and send out the invitations at the same time. And the first one is basically a very practical reason, is that they didn't have refrigeration, Okay. And when you're preparing a, a, a big banquet for people, you, couldn't, you can't fix things in advance and put it in the fridge, okay? You have to th fix things very close to the time, okay? And besides, when you are slaughtering the fatted calf, it takes time to kill the fatted calf, to kill it, to, to skid it, to butcher it up, and to prepare the meat. It takes time for that. So while he is doing that, while they are preparing the food, while they're out killing the cow, he says, go out and invite everybody and find out who is coming. Find out who is coming so I know how much food to prepare. Because in just about every culture in the world, and this is true here in the Philippines, that one of the worst things that can happen is when you have people over and you don't have enough food. Right? That is a great embarrassment. When you have people over and you don't have enough food, right? It's great embarrassment. It's shameful. It's a loss of face. And so you, do never, you never want to run out of food. And so he's saying, go out. I'm killing the calf. I'm killing the goat. I'm killing anything that we can have to eat. We're gathering the potatoes. We're, put, we're, we're, we're fixing the rice. We're, we're getting everything. Find out how many people are coming. Invite everybody and have them come and let me know how many are coming so I can fix enough food. So while he is fixing the food, they are sending out invitations, right? Okay. So the first one is that cultural reason. The second reason, Michael would say, is a cultural one. He says in the Middle East, it's a fascinating thing here. He said that in the Middle East, that if somebody would say, hey, would come up to you and say, you know what, in three months from now, I'm going to be having a party, and I want to invite you. Would you come to my party? 
And three months in advance, if you would say yes, um, you would say, yeah, I'll come to your party and see, this is what, this is February. So will you come to my Marty, February, March, April, May. Would you come to my, my, my birthday party in May? Okay. And you would say yes. He says in the Middle East, you could say yes three months in advance, and then on, you know, a, a day or two before, or even the day of, you can cancel. Okay. And it's not a problem. Okay. Because to give your yes three months in advance doesn't really mean anything. Okay? He said, but if somebody asks you the day of and you say, I'm coming, and then you cancel, he said, it's very rude. Why? Because they're preparing all this food. Right? Does that make sense? And so he said, culturally, it's, 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 it's very different. And I don't know how it is here in the Philippines as far as how that does. <clears throat> I know as far as a Western, a Western, a Western culture, you know, if, we, uh, if you cancel the day of, you better have a good reason to cancel the day of, right? And, and I don't know necessarily how it is here, but it's just uh, you, you better have a good reason on the day of if you're going to cancel, It'd be one thing if I asked you in the morning and say, hey, I'm going to have something uh, later, bit later on this afternoon. Would you come over? And I'd say, yeah, I'll come. And then i call up, you know, 30 minutes later and say, oh, I forgot I had this this afternoon. That would be okay. But for me to say yes and then wait right before, the, right before I'm supposed to come and then say, oh, I can't make it, it's understandable if there's a good excuse, but it can be, it can be a little rude, all right? And I don't know how it is here, okay? But there's that cultural reason, okay? That to deny or to refuse the invitation or to back out of your invitation on the day of the banquet is rude. Okay? So, the preparations are being made. The invitations are being sent out. Okay? And when the food is ready, the servant is going out and saying, okay, everything is ready. You can come now. The food is all ready. And as he goes back out to gather everybody who said they are coming... They are coming. They begin to make excuses. They begin to make excuses on why they cannot come. Okay? And so the first excuse is that I'm buying property. So in verse, uh, verse 18, it says this. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Is this a good excuse? No. You know why? Let's, let's look at why this is not a good excuse. That morning he was asked, "Would I'm having a banquet. Will you come to the banquet? Yes, I would love to come to your banquet. Put me and my wife and my kids down. We'll be there for sure. We're coming. Thank you for the invitation. Then when you come back and you say, hey, everything is ready. Ah, no, I just bought some property and I can't go. I got to go look at it. This makes no sense, okay? Today, even today, how many of us can, how, can we even buy property in one day? All the legal work and everything, we can't even buy property in one day today, right? So think about how much, how illogical this is. Even in Jesus' day, to buy property wasn't a one-day thing. It took days and weeks to buy property because there was lots of things you had to do. Number one is that the first thing that you do is you would research the owner of the property. And you would research them because you would see maybe we have some distant uh, family relationship with them. Because if I can find a family connection, even if it's my mother's, uh, my mother's cousin's nephew is, is related to their uh, brother's uncle, uh, something or another. If there's a family connection, I can play the family card and get a family discount, right? You guys understand that very well, right? Okay, it's the same thing here, that family connection. And if you can make a family connection, you can ask for the family discount. And also, if you make that family connection, you kind of protect yourself from being cheated because nobody wants to cheat a family member. Okay? And so you have to go through that time. You have to ask your, 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 your titos and titas, hey, do you know this person? Do we have any family relationships? You've got to ask all your family. You've got to ask all your connections. And you've got to see, do we have a family connection here? Okay, then you have to research the property. You know, today we can go online. We can read the legal description. We can look at pictures of the property. But even though I see a picture of the property, 
I still want to go look at the property before I buy it. Okay? And so they don't have any pictures of property. They can't go online and say, hey, this is the property that you're buying. They have to go and say, okay, let's go look at the property. Where's this property? Okay, well, you start from here. You go over to that banana plant over there. And then just beyond the banana plant, you, you follow that, that stream, and you follow that stream, and where the stream forks, you, you go to the left, and you go to the top of the hill, and there's a, there's a, there's a rock that looks like a, 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 the head of a carabao. And, and so from that head of that carabao, then you go down over here to the, to the bamboo, to the, to the group of bamboo, and then you come back here, and that's the property. And so you really have to go out, and you have to physically go out and look at the property. This is not something that you can do in one day's time. He is simply making an excuse, and it's a bad excuse. Does that make sense? It's a bad excuse because it's not a reasonable excuse. Nobody, nobody would say yes and then be able to buy property in that very same day. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so it's a bad excuse. So that's the first one. The second excuse is he's trying out oxen, okay? Verse 19, another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me, okay? Again, this isn't a very good, <laughs> a very good excuse, because notice this. I've bought five oxen, and I'm out to try them out. The way that I understand it, the way that oxen were bought and sold is that somebody was selling oxen, they would have a pin of all their ox, and you would go, and beside the pin they would have a strip of land and they'd have a plow. And you always bought oxen in pairs of two, okay? And so what you would do is you'd go out there and you'd, put, you'd pick two of the ox out of the pin and you'd hook them up to the plow and you would plow a line. And you would see... How do they pull together? Do they pull left? Do they pull right? You know, how do they pull? How do they work together? When you get to the end of the line, you would take one oxen off, and you'd put another oxen on, and you'd say, how does this pull? And you would try out all the oxen until you'd find a pair that pull equally together. Does that make sense? Okay. And so you would try them out before you would buy them. Okay. And so he says, hey, will you come to my banquet? Yeah, I'll come to your banquet. Ding dong. Hey, dinner's ready. Come on over. Hey, I'm sorry. I just bought five oxen, and I need to go try them out. Okay? So uh, that's like going to buy say, hey, I just bought a car. I need to go see if it starts. Okay? I, I just bought a car. I need to go see if it's a Mitsubishi or a Toyota. I don't know what it is. So I, got, I just bought this car. I need to go check it out. It doesn't make any sense. It's a bad excuse. Does that make sense? It's a bad excuse. Then the third one, excuse, is this, celebrating a marriage, okay? And so Luke 14, verse 20, still another said, I just got married, and so I can't come. Now, on the surface, I say, oh, I kind of understand that, but till we kind of dig into this and understand it a little bit. You know, in certain, in certain countries, you know, if you are, <clears throat> if you're newly married, you don't have to go to war for like a year in certain countries. You're, you're exempt from going to war for a year if you're newly married. What does being newly married have to do about going to a banquet? He wasn't married that morning. He's been married a while. It's, it wasn't just, it wasn't that he's the, the, he got married in the morning and so he, it's the same day. And so, hey, I can't come to your banquet because I'm having my wedding ceremony. You know, weddings took, you know, two weeks long back in that day to celebrate a wedding. It wasn't, so he's been married a short time. It wasn't the same day as the wedding, okay? And nowhere are you, pro are you prohibited within your marriage vows from just going to have dinner, right? Nowhere are you prohibited from your marriage vows that because you're newly married, you can't go to a banquet. You can't go have dinner with somebody. Okay, so really what this guy is saying is, hey, I know that I said yes, but I'd rather do something with my, not, with my wife tonight that doesn't involve you. Okay, and so this might be the most insulting of all the answers. Remember, each one of these guests previously said what? Said yes. All of them said yes, 
But when it was time to come to the banquet, all of them came up with excuses. They were bad excuses, and if you want to be bold enough, you could even say that they might even be deceitful or lies because they're not true or good excuses at all. Okay? Now remember, Jesus is talking about Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So remember this. This is what he's talking about. This is the context. This is what he's talking about. How blessed is the man who can sit at the feast of God. How blessed is the man. Jesus says, well, a man throws a banquet. And as he's preparing, he invites everybody. And after they say that they're going to come, when, I go to, when, when he tells them that the food is ready, they all begin to make excuses. How many people, how many people make a vow to God? They think that they have made a vow to God. They think that they have a ticket to heaven. And then when it comes time to fulfill that vow, they make excuses. They make excuses not to fulfill that vow. And let's be honest, those excuses that they give aren't very good excuses. you notice these three excuses business property family the three excuses that people give in order not to fulfill the reservations that they made with the Lord the three things that they said the three excuses business money property family those three things kept people from attending the banquet that God was giving for them those three things. Is that a good excuse not to sit at the banquet at the table of the most heavenly, the, the heavenly Father, the God of the Most High? Or is that a good enough excuse? Is that a good enough reason? And so we get here. So the, the messenger comes back to the, to the host here. And, and, and so he sends him back out. And so look here at this next verse here. The servant came back and reported this to the master. And the owner of the house became what? Angry. He is offended. He is offended. He's angry and he ordered his servant, go out. Go out into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go, go, go back out. He's angry. I've had all this food. I fixed all these food. I invited my family and my friends, and I've, I've invited them to come to my banquet. I've invited them all. I prepared all this food, and they've said, now said that they are not coming. He is offended. He is mad. He is upset. and says, now just go out and invite anybody, anybody in town. Just go to the town. Invite anybody. Invite those who I have no relationship with. Invite the poor because they don't go out and buy property. Go out and invite the lame. Go out and buy the lame because they don't go out and buy oxen and take them out in the field. Go, go, go invite the blind because at that point in time, the blind didn't get married. He said, go invite all these people so that they will come, that they won't have an excuse to come to my, my banquet. Invite them all. that wasn't enough so at first notice that he sends out a second invitation to those within his community and then when the servant comes back he sends out a fourth a third invitation to those strangers who are outside of the community Luke 14 verse 22 sir after he returns of going out into town, into the alleys and the roads and the byway, or, or in, the, in the town, and, and inviting the poor and the lame and the blind, he comes back and says, Sir, I've done what you've said, but there's still room. I like the servant here because the servant, the servant here is beginning to understand the vision and the heart of his host. 
of his master. He's understanding the vision. He's beginning to understand, ah, I now understand what he's thinking. The host, the master is saying, I am throwing a banquet and I will refuse to have a banquet if not every seat is full. I want this banquet to be full. I have fixed all this food and I want to bless everybody. I want everybody. I want every seat at this banquet full. I do not want there to be an empty seat whatsoever. And this, this servant begins to understand this. And he says, sir, I've gone and I've invited all the blind and the crippled and the lame, but there's still room. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? There's still room. There's still seats that are open. There's still places for people to come. What do you want me to do? And so he gives that, that command then. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. He gives him this incredible mission, and, and please don't miss this. Before, the first invitation was the people that was close to him, to the master. Family, friends, business acquaintances. The second one was the people within his community. This third one are the total strangers who aren't even part of the community. They're walking by on the road in the lane. They're just travelers coming by. People who are totally outside of the community. Absolute strangers. Absolute strangers. So Jesus is saying, again, remember, this story is about Revelation 19. This is about the banquet at the marriage supper of the Lamb, at the resurrection of the righteous. That how many people, think of this, how many people have accepted the offer to be at that invitation, uh, to be at that banquet through a salvation, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but walk away from it because of what? Because of family, because of business, because of property or things and people walk away from it Jesus gives that offer gives that Jesus gives that invitation but we come up with excuse uh, family pressure all different things ah, I got business I'd rather I, I got to get business I got to work or all these different things or I just want to gather stuff I just don't the excuses and Jesus says that people are going to turn away from that invitation to the banquet. Even though they might initially say, no, say, say yes, they get distracted and they will turn down the invitation for these other things. And are they, is that a good excuse to give up being at the, at the, at the, 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 the eternal, eternal reward of salvation, of being spending eternity with the Heavenly Father and eating at His banquet? Is that a good excuse? And I would say in my opinion and my conviction is that no, that is not a good excuse. Because what can compare to the knowledge of who God is? What can compare to being reconciled with Him? What can compare to being living in eternity in the presence of that perfection, in that, in that presence, in that knowledge of that perfect love, in that, per, per, in, 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 in that state of, of perfection? What can actually even compare to that? Nothing. Family, property, business, money, nothing compares to that. It all pairs in comparison to those things. And so Jesus is saying, this banquet that I'm hosting is not just for my family and friends. It's not just for the Jew. It's not just for Israel. 
but I want you to go out into everywhere, and I want you to invite everyone. That means it's not just for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile, which is good news because that means that it's for me and you. That means that that invitation is for us. Jesus has given us an invitation to sit at, the, at this banquet with him in Revelation 19, at the resurrection. He is inviting us to a banquet because, our, because Jesus is a good shepherd, but he is also a very, very good host. And such a host that he sits down with sinners and tax collectors, people like me, and people like you who are just simply saved by God's great grace. Not because of the good things that we have done, but because of the goodness of who he is. Because, my friends, he is a good shepherd, and he's an even better host. And just simply sitting at that banquet is better than sitting at the head table of any banquet that we can have here from one of our families and friends. Just being at that banquet of Jesus in Revelation 19 is better than being at the head table of any banquet with the president or anybody else, any, any world leader, any pop star. It is, it is better than any, any seat of honor, any other bank. Just being at this banquet, how happy is the man who can attend this feast with God? There is nothing better. Nothing can compare. Nothing is better. So the concluding question is, is have we caught the vision of the good host? And that's where we kind of come back to our, our theme. Whole family safe, more to come. See, our, our host, our host Jesus is determined that he wants his banquet hall to be full. He wants it to be full. You know, and as, I, as I've, in the times that we've been here, I've enjoyed visiting with you and, and talking with, with many of you. Not everybody, but many of you. And I love hearing your story. And one of the questions I always ask is, well, how long have you be coming, been coming to church here you know, and I'm blessed to hear, you know, I've been coming since I was a little kid. You know, I've been coming for, for years, for, for decades even. And I'm so blessed by, by the faithfulness of God. And, you know, and I see that there's so many families that are here and family units and, and, and multi-generations of families that are here. And I'm so blessed by that. You know, and so, and one thing we can really identify with this whole, this, this first statement. You know, the, my whole family is safe. My whole family is saved. My whole family knows the Lord. My whole family is, a, is part of the church. And, and you know, and we can, we can really identify with that. And, and I say praise God and thank you, Jesus, for those things. And, and if your whole family is saved, then, you know, just I rejoice with you in that. And, and may you, maybe you are in the circumstance where maybe a family member is not saved. And, and my, heart, my heart joins with you in yearning and praying for their salvation. But the thing is this, is if our whole family is saved, is that enough? Are we satisfied? Is that all? Is that it? Well, my family is safe, so that's all that matters. Is that the heart of our host? Is that the vision of our host? No. The vision of the host is greater than that. The vision of the host is, my family is saved. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. But there is still more to come. Outside of my family, 
outside of my community that there must be more to come because I will have my banquet house full. I don't want any empty seats. I am preparing the table. I am killing the cow. I am inviting everybody. I am putting out the invitation now. Would you receive my invitation and come and feast with me? The poor, the blind, the crippled. Those from Bangladesh and Pakistan and Saudi and South America. So this is this question and is have we caught the vision? Are we just simplified that ours or do we have the heart of our host that not a, not a seat shall be empty? So the excuses of economics and business and family, they're, they're just excuses. And so he says, you know what, go into the highways, into the byways, and, and notice this. He says, compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. And so how do we... How do we do that? How do we compel people to come in? You know, it's... Why the compelling? Why is, it, why is that an important thing? And again, this is kind of a cultural thing here, and I think we, we, we'd understand it. Because this person in the story who's, who's given this banquet is, is a per person of means, is a person of reputation, is a person of standing within the community. And whenever you go and, and you're going to begin to invite the poor and the crippled and, the, and those who are with, with disabilities, culturally speaking, culturally they're not necessarily allowed to accept the, accept the invitation. Because who am I? I'm not a person of standing that I should even accept or even associate with you. I shouldn't even, who am I that even this person, who, who, who this great person of esteem, why are they even inviting me? I'm not even a person of standing. I have no standing to be at that banquet. And so the job of the host was you compel them. No, James, the master says he wants you to come. No, but who, why, why would he want me to come? Who am I? I don't even know him. Why do you want, no, James, he wants you to come. He said he wanted me to invite you. He wants you to come to my banquet. He wants you to come. Will you come? Oh, no, who am I? I'm just poor. I don't have the right clothes. I don't know. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, the master really means it. James, he really wants you to come. This is real. I'm not joking you. It's not a, I'm not tricking you. I, he really wants you to come. He really wants you to be part of this banquet. And I have to compel him. I have to compel him. I have to compel him to know that the invitation is real and sincere. That the host wants to eat and to dine with you. He has prepared a table for you. And he wants to fellowship with you. And so... He says, go and compel them. Compel them that this invitation of this relationship with the Heavenly Father is real and genuine. That there is nobody beyond God's grace. There's nobody beyond the reach of God's grace. That there's nobody that, can be, that is beyond God's love. Nobody is beyond what God can do upon their lives. Nobody is beyond that. And we have to compel them. But the question is, is how do we compel Well, the way that we live, the way that we speak has to be compelling. The way we live, the way we speak, the way that we, the way that, the way that we relate with one another, the way that we deal with each other, it needs to be compelling that we're different than, than just the regular culture and society. It has to be compelling. That there is something real within us. That there is, you know, Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by their... Love, that they're love for one another, okay? And so our life, the way that we speak, the way that we invite, the way that we share, it has to be compelling. It has to be compelling. 
we, we have to be compelling to make them understand that this offer of salvation is real. We must compel them to understand that the master wants them to be at, the, at this banquet. We have to compel them this invitation is for them. We have to compel them and convince them that, this, this, that the good news of the gospel applies for them. It's not just good news for me. It's good news for everybody. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not just for me because I have white skin and a high nose. It's not just for me. It's for everybody. And it's not just for those who gather on Manga Street on Sunday morning. But it's for those who gather down on Mabini Street of an evening on Friday night. It is for everyone. So the Lord is a good shepherd. And that he leaves the 99 to search for the one lost. He is a good host. And that he doesn't want any seats to be empty at his banquet. Do we have that vision? Do we have that vision? If you bow your heads and your hearts with us this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. First, I just want to give opportunity here this morning. And if I can compel. If you're in this room, and I don't, and maybe you've been coming here for 30 years, or maybe this is your first time. I'm here to tell and proclaim to you today, and I want to compel you that the invitation of our Heavenly Father to have a relationship with you is real. That He loves you with an incomparable love. And He loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son to pay the penalty of our wrongdoing. And you might be thinking, God can't possibly love me. God can't possibly forgive me. And I'm here to tell you, and I pray that I can even be compel you to understand that the offer of God's salvation and the desire for him to have a relationship with you is real. And that salvation is real because I have experienced it. Many people in this room have experienced it. And God has a desire for you to experience too. And so I would compel you today. Would you put your trust and faith upon the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Would you believe with him in your heart? Would you confess him with your mouth that he is Lord above all, that he is worthy of your life? Regardless, regardless of your family, regardless of what your family says or how your family acts or how your family behaves, because this is about you and what God has done for you. The invitation is for you right now. Regardless of your finances or what it might cost you, are you willing to, to that this is... This treasure that God offers you is, is incomparable to all the money in the world. It would be worth you to sell everything you have in order to have this one gift. I would compel you this morning. Would you receive this gift this morning? And so if you would say, Pastor Keith, this morning today, I'm compelled that I want to receive this invitation to this banquet. And I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if that's you, would you just raise up your hand here this morning? We'll pray this morning. Is there anybody in this room? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? And so if you, if you, if you, if you raise your hand, just put your, everybody just put your hand over your heart here this morning. And let's just pray this simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. And thank you for inviting me to your great banquet. And so, Father, I receive your invitation today. And I am compelled to accept your son, Jesus Christ, 
and the payment that he made for my sins to have relationship with you. And so today I say yes to your invitation because I want to eat with you at your great banquet. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for inviting me. And I receive that gift today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And remember, as we celebrate that today, remember who we celebrate. We celebrate the Good Shepherd. When a lost sheep comes home, we celebrate. The angels in heaven rejoice, but we don't celebrate the sheep that come home. We celebrate the Good Shepherd, right? That's where the celebration belongs. Last thing, and then I'm done. I would challenge everybody in this room that we would check that we would check where our attitude stands. Do we stop just simply with the first statement or do we embrace the heart of the host and do we embrace the second statement as well? And do we embrace that? Do we have the heart of our host, the good shepherd, and the good host? And so I just want to pray with you here. So most precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this body. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you've done here this morning, those two people that raised their hand to accept you. And for those that have done that decades ago. And so, fathers, we're reminded here today of your banquet, that we would not be so caught up with receiving honor here upon this earth that we'd understand that there's a greater honor, and that is attending that banquet and that last day. And that we would catch your vision in your heart, Lord, that it's not just enough for my family to be safe, but you want everyone. So, Father, would you stir our hearts as the body of Christ, would you stir our hearts? Would you stir our hearts as this church? Would you stir our hearts? Would you give us your wisdom? Would you give us your vision? Would you begin to give us the keys to this community to reach out and to compel this part of the city to come to you? That this church would be full of and yielded to the power of your Holy Spirit with a conviction and anointing they cannot be denied or argued with. But, Father, they would proclaim your name. And as they proclaim, the people are going to receive. Because that is your heart, that your table be full. And so I pray that the, the, the banquet table of heaven would be full of people from this part of the city. Because United Bethel Church had the heart of their host. And for your name and your glory of your name alone, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people can say with me, amen and amen. God bless you.